Brother Zach, you come on and give us what the Lord has laid on your heart. Amen. Amen. Uh, again, I, I uh, apologize for not giving these preachers more than 30 minutes. <laughs> uh, but if you don't tell the guys that preached yesterday, you might could go five more. <laughs> <laughs> I love you, Brother Mark. I love you. Well, in all the times I've been to West Griffin Baptist Church, this is the first time Brother Mark was here when I came. So I am so thankful for the opportunity this morning to, to preach the Word of God and to do so in what is an, a unique environment. We don't have this opportunity often, do we men, to have fellowship like this, uh, but I'm grateful that we are on the little end of something big, an old preacher once said, and I'm thankful that we're on the same team, and we're going the same direction. I rejoice in that. In meetings like this, what we've gathered to do is more than just the, the reception or the receiving of information. It's more than, than just sitting to, to hear instruction. But I think my lot this morning is to offer an opportunity for introspection. That we would look within as we seek to go forward for the glory of God. So if you've got a copy of God's Word, would you stand with me? And as you're standing, turn to 2 Peter, 2 Peter chapter number 1. And we will hear thoughts of introspection from the Apostle Peter. And I hope that these words, beginning in verse number 12, will in some way shake us as we're shaped by the Word of God to go forward in this day of apostasy. 2 Peter chapter 1 and verse number 12. As Peter is giving his farewell address, he states, Wherefore I will not be negligent to put you always in remembrance of these things, though ye know them, and be established in the present truth. Yea, I think it meet, as long as I am in this tabernacle, to stir you up by putting you in remembrance, knowing that shortly I must put off this tabernacle, even as our Lord Jesus Christ hath showed me. Moreover, I will endeavor that ye may be able after my decease to have these things always in remembrance. I'm not going to preach verse 16, but I want us to look at it. For we have not followed cunning devised fables. When we made known unto you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but were eyewitnesses of his majesty. As we consider these words, you may be seated this morning. If you knew you were reaching the end of this journey, what would be the words, 
what would be the way identified in your farewell address? Artists have tried to capture some of the great farewells in history, haven't they? I think this morning of great paintings like the one of George Washington as he says his farewell address to the troops there in the Continental Army as they go as he goes to retire to a life at Mount Vernon. You know, there's a similar image, a picture that an artist painted of Napoleon as he said farewell to the old guard who was with him from the beginning. I think about these paintings because in these paintings you see men who are looking toward a leader. There's a sense of camaraderie, but there's also a sense of, of grief because they know they're parting ways. They have been together for some time. They had experienced some things. The fight is very real, is it not, child of God? And there are many here today who've, who've been in this fight together. And yet there's coming a day when the fight will be over. Was it not the Apostle Paul, in context to the theme of this conference, who said, I have fought a good fight. I kept the faith. He finished the course. Life is, is full of transitions, and reality is this. All of us will experience in some form or fashion farewells. There's a series of great farewell addresses and that are really transitional moments in the history of God's people. We, we could look at Jacob and how he was passing a baton. We could look at Moses as he passed a baton. We could look at Joshua as he passed a baton to the judges. And then Samuel as he was the last judge giving his farewell speech at the appointment of Saul as king. We can see that all throughout the Old Testament. We can see in the New Testament several farewell addresses. But here in our text, we are acquainted with the imminent transition of the Apostle Peter. And he's encouraging future leaders of the church by pointing them to the past while they face what seems to look like an insurmountable task surrounded by impossible odds. Second Peter. I don't mean to shock you, but that was written after First Peter. Can I get a witness? We know First Peter, do we not? We, we hear those themes of suffering and trial and, and, and discouragement. They were exiles. They were aliens. They were, they were people of God in a strange land. But things have gotten worse. Because not only are the people of God in Asia Minor experiencing trouble from without, but now they're experiencing trouble from within. Second Peter gives us a, a clear picture of, of the people of God facing not just struggle from outside the four walls, but now false teachers have infiltrated the church. And so the Apostle Peter, knowing that he's about to pass off the scene, reminds these believers, and I want to remind you today, God is faithful. 
He's faithful. He's truly, fully trustworthy. And we can rejoice in that today. Peter is about to die. And he knows it. Verse 14, he says, Knowing that shortly I must put off this tabernacle. As he speaks of this tabernacle, speaking of his body, we, we need not think of a, a permanent structure. That's not the intent here. He's speaking about a temporary, weak, destructible tent that has been pitched. You know, a tent <laughs> that is easily moved. A tent that you don't expect to spend your entire life in, especially in one place. No, no biblical imagery here is, is of one who is putting off this body of flesh. And yet as he describes this body of flesh as a tabernacle or as a tent, Paul says in 2 Corinthians 5.1, For we know that if our earthly house of this tabernacle were dissolved, we have a building of God. And house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. That's the contrast, isn't it? Whereas this world is temporary and fleeting, the world we are going to, the heaven that is awaiting us, is eternal. Where this is temporary, we will one day experience the permanent dwelling place. We will be at home where the foundation is solid and the walls are secure. A place where we're not going anywhere else, but we'll be there forever. Heaven is eternal. Our tabernacle is temporary. And yet this tabernacle, as, as useful as it is, knowing that it must be taken care of, should not be put toward it as many resources as that which is permanent. We should care more about our eternal home than this mere earthly dwelling. And so we need to remember that eventually we are going to die, but in this decay we're not going to lose our inheritance. When we pack up this tent, we understand that this is a mere tent in comparison to the palace that awaits us. Our eternal inheritance. What we long for, children. Is heaven. I recognize that this tent serves us well. As long as the Lord gives us life. But the longer we live, we, we recognize that, that, that these tabernacles, these tents that, that we have need patchwork, don't they? We struggle. We hurt. We're not putting off our palace for a temporary tabernacle. But we're taking off this temporary tabernacle for an eternal palace. So Peter knows that he's going to die. And, and I'm not 100% certain how he knows this. He's probably in his 60s when life expectancy was much lower than that. It's quite possible that the persecutions under Nero had begun. 
But ultimately, this knowledge of impending death was in keeping with what the Lord made clear in verse number 14. He said, knowing that, shortly I must put off this tabernacle, even as our Lord Jesus Christ had showed me. God showed him. That could be apostolic. That could be a clear reference to John 21, verse 18 and 19, where we read, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, when thou wast young, thou girdest thyself, and walkest whither thou wouldest. But when thou shalt be old, thou shalt stretch forth thy hand, and another shall gird thee, and carry thee whither thou wouldest not. This spake he signifying by what death he should glorify God. Regardless, he knew he would die a death. Peter has certain understanding about that. You and I have some understanding of that. So if our lives are soon to be snuffed out, so to speak, if we know that our time is nearing its end, what would we want to with the watching world and those closest to us. The Apostle Peter in our text has a few things to say. He speaks a word about godliness. Now, I don't know if you're like me, but I'm convinced man cold is real. When I get sick, the first thing I'm telling my wife is, sweetie, Let's set aside where we're going to put the library, right? <laughs> Go get my books. <laughs> but what would you say at your farewell address? Many might say in this world, good luck or, or do your best. Frank Sinatra said, I did it my way. But that's not our terminology. That's not the life of the believer. No, if we are living our lives right and we are faithful to the Lord Jesus Christ, the last things we should say should be reminders of the things we've already said. Notice Peter's words, how often he speaks this word, remembrance. Verse number 12, Wherefore I will not be negligent to you, to, to put you always in remembrance of these things. Verse 13, to stir you up by putting you in remembrance. Verse 15, moreover, I will endeavor that ye may be able after my decease to have these things always in remembrance. In this farewell discourse, all he wants to do is bring back to their remembrance what they had previously seen and what they had previously heard. But what did they hear and see? Verse 12 speaks of these things. Do you see that in the text? This seems to be connected to what was stated earlier in the passage in verse number 8 when, when this same apostle uses these same words. These things are mentioned. Simply put, these things is a summary statement of what was previously said concerning the qualities of godliness. So he's bringing to their remembrance this call to godliness. Now you can't have a good sermon without quoting Spurgeon, right? So on godliness, Spurgeon said, Nearness to God 
brings likeness to God. The more you see God, the more of God will be seen in you. And isn't that true in our text? For the Apostle Peter reminds us in verse 16 that he was an eyewitness of this Christ. Therefore, all the, the godliness within him is not bore out of his own human condition, but what he has seen in the lovely Lord Jesus. This letter shares with us the need for holiness. Holiness is mentioned. And he wants to remind them about the inspiration of Scripture. He wants to remind them about the reality of judgment. He shares within the danger of false teaching. He gives clear indication about the return of the Lord Jesus. All of which are connected to Peter's exhortation to godly living as he fleshes out the power and the, and the pattern and the premise of godliness in verse 3 through 11. That's where this letter begins. But notice how it ends in 2 Peter chapter number 3 and verse 1. This second epistle, beloved, I now write unto you, in both which I stir up your pure minds by way of remembrance, that you may be mindful of the words which were spoken before by the holy prophets and of the commandments of us, the apostles of the Lord Jesus Christ, or the Lord and our Savior. One of the great motivators of godliness, for godliness, is that Christ has come into the world and that He will soon return. And Peter's desire was to remind them of what the holy prophets and the apostles and what Jesus said so that they would not deviate from what they had been taught. That's what Peter is seeking to remind them as he, as he speaks of, of godliness. So stepping back from these words where Peter is, is pointing them to, to remembering the necessity of godliness, he, he knows that he has nothing new to say. I have nothing new to say this morning. We this morning should be grateful that we still believe and teach the old, old story. When one reaches the, the end of his or her life, that's not the time, the stage in life to say, I found a new insight where I'm reshaping my life around this in my last dying breaths. No, no, God has called us to live for Him and to be faithful to Him. And by God's grace, we will continue on even until that last day. Can't you hear the Apostle Peter? He's saying, remember what my life was about. What will they remember about you? What will they remember about me? Peter pointed them to godliness. Do you see it? He spoke a word about godliness. He also spoke a word about truthfulness. Notice verse 12 again. He said, wherefore, I will not be negligent 
to put you always in remembrance of these things, though you know them, and be established in the present truth. Now that's one phrase, present truth, that separates liberal scholarship and biblical Christianity. We hear the theological liberals who express that they cannot see the scriptures as fully reliable. They'll, they'll say that, that speaking truth is but a feeble attempt to describe a, a God greater than what we can fathom. But the apostle Peter, he clears him off a spot. And he says, we're not wobbly like they are. We're not soft on inerrancy. We're not struggling with postmodern views that so many in this current age of apostasy are grappling with. No, we're firm. We're rooted. This is a present truth that we are established in. We believe God has spoken. And we believe that there is a deposit of understandable, transferable truth that must be protected, it must be preserved, and men, it must be proclaimed. Now, there's more to being a Christian than that, but it's not less than that. This word here from the Apostle Peter, it, it exemplifies the need for, for discipleship, and we're, we're called to teach and preach, leaving people who are firmly grounded in the truth, planted for the next generation. What will they say about us? What have they seen in us? Peter speaks a word about godliness, but he speaks a word about truthfulness, a truth that he was rooted and grounded in. Now you may say, my life has been an adventure, preacher. And I can echo those words, even as a 34-year-old man. But our theology shouldn't be. It shouldn't be an adventure. We may move, we may have multiple careers, we may have exciting scenes from trips to share, we may have all sorts of grand ideas making lasting impacts in various ways. You may even change the world, but we must not change the word. The word is unchanging. It does not change. And so we rejoice. Because we've heard it, we believe it, we accept it. And now the task is to be shaped by it, not to deviate from it. But so many in this day, men who have been an encouragement and a help, have deviated. And I say that not as one who sees them as a rung on a ladder, I'm better than them now because they've moved and I've stayed. But my heart breaks. Because if it were not for the grace of God, I deserve to be in hell with my back broken. Were it not for the grace of God. Can I say it this way? I don't mean to be controversial. 
God forbid me be controversial. Amen. But it's easy to lose your friends. New ideas come along. We get lazy with our doctrinal borders and boundaries. The natural drift is away from orthodoxy. And so if you do nothing in your church, if you do nothing in your ministry, if you do nothing in your life, the drift will be away from truth. You'll not trip into it. And I say that because it's always harder to say no to people than it is to say yes. It's always harder to express the need for boundaries than, than to merely embrace what others want, especially in our day. Because we don't want to hear those words in, in, in this generation like exclusivity. We want everything to be inclusive, not exclusive. We want everything to be open, not closed. <laughs> But if we're to be firmly established in the truth of God's Word, as the Word of God tells us to be, there are some non-negotiable truths. There has to be an unrelenting stance on the Word of God, and we cannot slide. We can't get lazy in our holiness, because when we do, we'll drift. It's interesting to note that Jesus instructed His disciples to pray for daily bread. But he extends that rhythm and that pattern for prayer as he speaks about and lead us not into temptation. We can't trust ourselves. And we need the Lord's grace to keep us from slipping lest we keep a close watch on our life and doctrine. I don't have much more time, but let me say this. Sometimes we slip simply because we forgot. I want to extend grace to those whose memory has, has faded. There are those whose sharpness has become dull. And we think about in Peter's day... And, and I don't fully have the answer for this, but, but I'm, I'm certain that, that they did not have readily available like you and I have this Word of God. In fact, we've been given in this generation an embarrassment of riches. We have printed and published works. We have the Bible. We have commentaries on the Bible. We have writings and teachings where we can consult our favorite theologian. All we've got to do is pull the book off of our shelf or, or, or thumb through an electronic device. Here's what they had. They had reminders. They had oral tradition passed down. They had the Word of God hidden in their hearts. Now 
we look at them, we look at ourselves. We, we may be a literate people. We may have books galore. We may have more information in our pockets than any other generation. But we too need to have our remembrance stirred up. Because we may have books and plenty of history and multiple Bibles laying around, but with that can come maybe too much input. I'm not saying we shouldn't read wide and read deep, but we shouldn't forget that the main thing is still the main thing. Peter is saying here, you need to remember this established truth that it's fully trustworthy. He spoke a word about truth. He, he spoke a word about godliness. All in the confines of this word, remember Ezra. I think about that picture in the Old Testament in Ezra chapter number 3. When the old men wept while the young men rejoiced. I wonder where you fall this morning. I wonder if the majority of your life has already been lived. What, what quarter of the game are you in? Carl Hodge put it this way. He said he didn't want a new thing to be an old principle. I kind of like that. What about truth? I'm not saying that there aren't new things to learn. But the large majority of what we need to know are things we've already been taught. Stand firm on the truth. We sit here in this Bible conference and we've heard much preaching. But we need to be constantly reminded of these truths. Should we preach the same sermon with the same illustrations over and over again? No, that's not preaching the whole counsel of God. But the bigger mistake is when men grow tired of the truth, causing them to veer away from it entirely. Was it not Whitfield who said, Many men preach the gospel better than I, but no man preach a better gospel. The gospel hasn't changed. It will not change. We need these reminders in closing. We need to be reminded that the scriptures are true, that Jesus is God. We are forgiven at the cross. We are justified by faith. We show our faith in good deeds and holy lives. We share our faith with others. We pray. We read our Bible. We believe that Jesus is returning to judge the living and the dead. We believe that hell is real and it's terrible. We believe that heaven is more glorious than we could ever imagine. Can I sum it up this way? We believe that God is our all in all. All. We can't hear those things too many times. I need to hear those things. Can I be very transparent this morning in closing? I'm in overtime, Brother Mark. I'm sorry. Two more country minutes and I'll be done.
be very comforting. And you may think less of me for what I'm about to say. But don't think on me, think on him. There are times when I will walk into Sunday services and I feel like my faith is weakened. And I grow tired and weary. And I step back. There's anxiety and frustration thought I'd never break it. You ever been there? It's not pop psychology down here. It's not the latest self-help book that will give you strength in those days. But we need to hear again and again and again even those most basic truths Jesus loves me. This I know. For the Bible tells me so. We sing that song. But how profound, even in its simplicity, that Jesus loves somebody like me. How do you know? Because the Bible tells me so. I'm not going to preach this third point, but he does speak a word about faithfulness. I want to read verse 16 and I'm going to sit down. He said, for we've not followed cunning devised fables. When we made known unto you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but were eyewitnesses of his majesty. He's faithful. He's able. So when we come down to the end, What's the brushstroke of the artist going to paint as our remembrance? I've seen what the artist had to say about George Washington and the Continental Army. I've seen those pictures of Napoleon with the old guard. May we stay true. May we stick true to the truth. Even to the end. Heavenly Father, thank you for your word and your spirit. May these words find indelible places in our hearts. In Jesus' name.